0: For for being here this morning. Uh, we're going to continue our look at the book of Proverbs and some of the wisdom out of that particular book. And most of this, of course, is the writings of Solomon, not all of it. There's a passage we're going to look at a little bit in, in uh, chapter 31 that, uh, that is not Solomon's writing. Uh, but much of it is from Solomon, which is, which is interesting because we're looking at a topic of husbands and wives. And uh, whatever your position in life today whether you have a spouse or whether you're a young person and um, you perhaps are going to be, in the next few years, perhaps meeting and selecting a mate. Uh, Or you're an older person that that reflects back on your marriage. Whatever your case, perhaps we can learn something from Solomon. Solomon was very wise. In fact, you know, remember when, when he became the king, he asked God. God said, just ask what you want and I'll give it to you. And instead of asking for riches, he asked for wisdom. And so Solomon had great wisdom. But ironically, uh, this is one area that we might kind of think, Solomon might not be the best person to listen to, at least at, at first uh, thought. Because if you look in First Kings chapter 11, it tells us that Solomon was a man that had 700 wives and about 300 concubines. And so we know that Jesus, when He came to the earth, He taught that that it was from the very beginning. God allowed polygamy to exist for a period of time, but that was really never the plan, that God designed uh, man and woman, one man and one woman to be for each other. And that was His plan. And so Solomon uh, was a man who... Uh, deviated from from that plan greatly, even though he was very wise. But we might think of it this way, that uh, Solomon perhaps as he looked back on his life and he recognized many of the mistakes that he had made, it's kind of like the guy that that took the wrong step and fell in the river and is is flowing down the river and is warning back to us to not make those same mistakes. Because there's some mistakes that he made and we know that uh, it says there in 1 in, uh, Kings chapter 11 about verse number 3 that these wives eventually turned his heart from God. Uh, they started serving other gods because that was the tradition of these other people. And so Solomon turned from God because of that. But perhaps we can learn something from his wisdom because I believe there is great wisdom in the things that he writes here in Proverbs. In chapter 24 verses 3 and 4 he says this, through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant pleasant riches. Now, we might think about, is he talking about wisdom of man and carpentry and, and going out and gaining wealth and stocking the house with those kind of things? Well, I believe he's using that as a metaphor to help us to understand the, the, the deeper things of relationships and that it is... That is, through relationships and being wise about the way that you manage your relationships, that you build a true home. You build one that will stand the test of time. You build one that can serve God, that you can grow in, that your spouse can grow in, that you can be content, and that you can do well. God has designed it because He's designed that relationship because He wants the best for man. And He wants the best for women. It says in Psalms chapter 27 and verse number 1, "...unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it." Now, again, we might think of, well, perhaps that's talking about a church or or a temple or a synagogue or or some kind of religious uh, structure. But I think it also applies to a home. That unless the Lord's plan is at the center of that design, there's a faulty foundation. And Unless God is the center of that foundation, there's a point at which you may start to see a crack. You may start to see problems in that home that you couldn't see at the outset. You know, uh, Connie and I, a couple of years ago, I guess maybe two or three years ago now, uh, we found out that we had foundation problems. And... Uh, that's not a fun thing. You don't want to do that. If you can avoid that, I encourage you to do so. Uh, it's a little bit costly and it's pretty messy and, and all those things. But, you know, those foundation problems, They didn't. The, the day that we had the contractor come in to start looking at it, that's not when they happened, was it? It was years and years and years before that because of, of imbalances in moisture or shifts in the soil or whatever it was, that that foundation began to crack and to give way. But we didn't notice probably for for 10 or 12 years. And finally, we had to do something about that. So, building a foundation on God's principles will allow longevity in a relationship and one that will make uh, a couple happy. We know that um, Jesus teaches this in Luke chapter 11. And the context of this writing is really... He's being accused, he's, he's doing a miracle of casting out demons. And what they did is they accused him of, well, you're doing this by the power of Satan. And he's, he uses that to, to use the example of, well, how would Satan cast out Satan? Wouldn't a house divided against itself fall? And I think that would be true of a home too. That a house divided against itself, we know that there's great stress and great turmoil in that. And indeed, it's going to fall. In Proverbs chapter eleven and verse twenty nine, he who troubles his own house will inherit the wind. Now that's some wisdom from Solomon. That if you if you if you trouble your house, if if you inject if you inject stress and strife into a home, what you will end up with at the end is like grabbing the wind. It's there's there's nothing to hold on to. You'll have nothing. And he says that. Like a bird that wanders from his nest is a man who wanders from his place. You see this guy, where's he going? He's wandering across and sometimes people get the idea that, that they just got to get off and, and, and go see what else is out there. And Solomon cautions about that, that type of wandering eye that you're looking for something bigger or better or greater down the road and you're not content with what you've got. And so you you tend to wander off. And so you see this guy just wandering off in the wilderness, thinking that perhaps he'll find something better. He goes on to warn men. And he warns us. He says, For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood. I looked up that word wormwood, and apparently... It's the unused part of a root of a plant. And to the Jew, it was considered poisonous. So he's saying that although this woman may be attractive, really she's poison. And 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 she and he cautions men to stay away. He goes on in chapter 11 and verse number 22, and he says, as a ring of gold in a swine's snout. Imagine the... The, the paradox there is you have something of great value like, uh, like gold. Would you really take gold and put it on your pig? Well, he says that that's kind of like a lovely woman that lacks discretion. It's just... <laughs> it might, it, there might be some value there, but it's, it's lost in the pig. He goes on to say in Proverbs 7, "...do not let your heart turn aside to her ways." Do not stray in her paths, for she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. It's a pretty strong warning here that don't be turned aside. Don't don't let your head... and, And I guess he probably addresses men because he's a man. And in that particular culture, when he wrote... Uh, women didn't have the rights that we have in Western culture. And so he addresses men, but it would probably be applicable to both men and women today that don't let your head be turned aside. Don't let it be quickly turned uh, to someone who, who may seem attractive on the outside, but may, may cause you to pull from, from your love and may end up taking you to a place that looks bad. And you, you know, you've seen that happen probably to people is they start following after something that looks pretty good and they end up in a bad spot. And they end up in deeper than they thought and their life becomes kind of like that pile of rubble up there at the top. He goes on in chapter 19, he says, "...and the contentions of a wife are are a continual dripping, but a prudent wife is from the Lord." So, like, if, if it's if it's just a house of strife, it's like if you've got a if you've got a faucet that just drip, drip, drip. drip well, that gets annoying. It'd be like if I was to uh, take a pin and just tap it, and just tap it, and just, well, you know, after four or five minutes of that, you'd start to get pretty annoyed. It would that would start to grate on your nerves, and that's kind of what what he's saying here is that uh, that's, that's what a contentious wife is. Or, again, thinking about in our culture, a contentious man as well. Um, a continual dripping on a very rainy day, and a contentious woman are alike. Whosoever restrains, her, uh, restrains the wind and grabs oil with, with his right hand. Think about, uh, think about oil, that if you were to take some olive oil or something, and I was to pour it and try to grab it. We recognize that I get very little and most of it will be on the ground. That's what he's saying. He's saying it would be impossible. It would, it would be virtually impossible to do. There was a... Years ago I was playing golf with, with some guys and there was a there was a guy that was in the group and they were up a little bit ahead and over to the side in the weeds and this guy was kind of down in the, a ravine trying to hit out of there and... He, this is back in the days where you had wooden woods. And so when he pulled that club back, you could see that that club had a wood head on it. And he was hitting out of grass that was real tall. And the guy I was in the cart with said, oh, well, the impossible only takes longer. So uh, that's, that's kind of what it is here, is that it's just, you know, trying, trying to deal with that is, is virtually an impossibility. And I would say this, and this does not come from the scriptures, but I think it's a quote that, that is true. Choose your lifelong partner carefully. And I guess you're speaking to young people here, or someone that's not married, for they will be 80% of your misery, or 80% of your happiness. I think there's a lot of truth in that. And I think, I think the things that Solomon said bear that out, that, uh, you know, so at those of us that are married, think about think about yourself. Are you causing your spouse misery by the things that you do? Are you are you are you causing them happiness or are you causing them misery? Which is it? Is it both? And perhaps you could get do a little bit more on the happiness side and a little bit less on the misery side. He goes on in Proverbs twenty-one to say it's better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than in the house shared with a contentious woman. And then, now that's in verse 9. Now let's look at... He, I guess he thinks about it a little bit more because let's look at verse 19. He says, so it's, it's better to live in the corner of a house that you've got to yourself rather than to live with a contentious woman. And he goes on and he says, it's better to dwell in the wilderness... So he thinks about a little bit farther, not, not only just in the, in the corner of a house, but it'd be, it'd be better to even be out in the wilderness than to, than to, to deal with that. And, of course, I've got a picture of a man, too, because, again, think about that we can do that as well. We can bring contention and anger and, and strife into a home just like a, a lady can. Um, the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. And so we find this writing in Timothy 1 Timothy in chapter five. He talks about an idol. He was concerned about idle widows, young widows specifically, that would be idle, and you know what idleness is. It's the idle hands of the devil's workshop. And so he says, "Therefore I desire that young widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity. In other words, keep busy doing good things, and that won't give you time to get into bad things." uh for some have already turned aside after Satan so idle hands that have nothing to do and they're not doing something productive they're not putting themselves to good use tend to be uh, tend to find bad things to do moreover or whosoever finds a wife finds something good and has obtained favor of the lord solomon recognized that a, that a wife can be a great blessing to a man and a man can be a great blessing to a woman Home and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a sensible wife is, again, a blessing from the Lord. You have to, you sh- we should, men, we should thank God for the wives that we have and that they tolerate us, that they put up with us, and that they do the best they can to make the most of us. He goes on and says, Enjoy the girl you, you married when you were young. Always be intoxicated with her love. Don't take her for granted. Don't take her for granted. That is, that is, you know, I will say that I'm probably the worst person in here about that. Is I can get so busy and so so laser focused on what I'm paying attention to and what I'm working with working on, I can forget to give her credit. And thank her for all the things that she does that makes my path smooth and lets me do the things that I do. An excellent wife is a crown of her husband, but she who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. Pretty clear contrast. And then we get to the end of the book, which is The Virtuous Woman. And I'm not gonna, we're not gonna read all of this, but I just tried to pull out some characteristics and I just want to talk about these as we go through, uh, through this. First of all, as I just mentioned, don't forget to consider her value. Don't forget that she is a value. It seems like so many times that our partners are doing things for us, uh, our, our spouses are doing things for us in the background uh, that maybe are not noticeable in public, but they're, think about if they weren't happening. Think about what your life might look like if that weren't the case. So he says, Consider her worth. This King uh, Lemuel is interesting because this is the only time he's referenced in the Bible. Uh, no one seems to know for sure who he was. What he was king of, it's the only reference. But yet, there's some great wisdom in this passage. He goes on and says that she's trustworthy. Uh, I love verse 12. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Now, does that mean that she makes no mistakes? Of course not. But her heart is is seeking to serve him. And as a man, we should seek to serve our our wife the same way. She's trustworthy. She's industrious. She works hard. She, She puts herself to the task. She doesn't just sit and wait to be served. But she's industrious. She provides value to her husband and to her home. She's wise. Maybe not a wisdom that comes from books, but a wisdom that comes from working and, and trying to, to do things that are good for her house and doing that consistently. She becomes wise in that way. She's strong because she works. And that work leads her to a strength of character. And she's committed. She's dedicated to her family and that cause. And she doesn't, she doesn't get sidetracked with everything that's going on. She's compassionate to the poor. Even though she works hard, she doesn't forget about those that are less fortunate. She prepares her house for tough times. In all homes, there's difficult times. There's financial stresses. There's health stresses. There are, there are things that come up that, that impose stress on a home. She prepares for that. She maximizes her husband's success. She puts him in the best position to be successful. She does the things that she can do to help him be successful. And he does the same for her. She develops great skill because in all this work and all this industry, she develops some skill, and and that skill can be then turned into a, a benefit for her home. She's kind. She monitors the well-being of her family. She's aware if she has children, if they're doing well, if they're not. If if her husband seems to be distracted, or if he's, she she's aware. She monitors their condition and how well they're doing. All the time. And because of all those traits, she's greatly respected. Now, in modern culture, I think, especially, especially as children are growing up, it's real easy for children to begin to, and husbands as well, and perhaps we're the problem, to not give a mother the respect that they're due for all the things that they do. But, if you, do the, if you do the right things and you do them long enough, as they become adults and they begin to reflect back, they, re, they will recognize the good that you did. So sometimes you might look at that and go, well, I don't feel like I'm respected by my family. That may be something you have to wait on, but it will come. And probably most important, she's dedicated to her God. She fears her God and she follows His way. She follows His instruction. And because she does that, she serves her family. She serves her husband. And again, these are traits that are that portray this virtuous woman. But I, but I would turn them around and I would, I would suggest that, that men, for most of these things, we need, to, we need to apply them to us because they're just good character traits. It's the way we should be. It's the way we should be with one another. And I want to close by looking at a verse in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse number 6, because I thought it was an interesting verse. I actually had this earlier in my lesson, but I thought it was important enough uh, to move it to the end and kind of close with it. It says, this is the New King James. It says, Most men will will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? Now, I will say that This is not specifically talking about relationships, but it's talking about faithful to any commitment. But one big commitment we all make when we marry is we make a commitment to our spouse. So, he's saying that there's a lot of people that will boast that they're faithful, but you know, you've seen a lot of people that have made commitments to do things and then the mood changed and when they were no longer in the mood to do that thing, they they didn't follow through. We've all seen that. We've all been guilty of that. And so he, he says that who will proclaim each his own goodness? Men will do that. But to find someone that's really committed is pretty rare. Many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find? That's the, uh, the uh, NIV. And then God's Word translation says it this way. Many people declare themselves loyal, but who can find someone who is really, really trustworthy? Somebody that's really trustworthy. That can hold to a commitment. Now, most of us would probably look and, and think, you know, I'm, I, am, I am faithful. I, I remain faithful. But think about at all levels. Think about your heart. Is your heart always committed to do the right things by your, to your, spou- by your spouse? That's, that's, a, that's kind of a, a little bit of a higher standard. And there's really only one. Even Solomon, we know that he followed after other gods at the end of his life. But there's one that was faithful. And that was Jesus. Jesus. He was committed to a cause. That cause was to bring salvation to a people that didn't deserve it. And he didn't allow himself to get turned to the side when things got tough. So I would challenge us to apply those same standards to ourselves, to our marriage, to do what we can to uh, live the way that God would have us to live, knowing that in doing so, we'll have a happy and a productive life in His kingdom. Uh, we'll offer a song of invitation. If if the church can assist you in any way, we would ask you to come as we will stand and sing the song that's been selected.